Let me pray and we'll dive into Micah 6, 8. Father God, we thank you for the, just the opportunity to be here, to do uh, this, this rhythm, this, this rhythm that is a means of grace where your spirit meets us in these moments, doing what Christians have always done, coming together, worshiping you, opening up your word to see what you have for us today. Lord, I pray that as we look at this passage, that we would be transformed by it, that it would give us a grid to think about, especially issues of justice. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that are truly broken people, loving broken people. We find so much hope and joy in the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that we would take that gospel to all the broken, dark, suffering, hurting areas of our community. May we be a church uh, that, that shines the light of the gospel in all those places. Finally, Lord, I pray that today as we dive into this verse, this verse that is familiar to many of us, that, that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, Pastor John and his wife felt called to a church in the inner city. The, the church had a, had a very historic past, but the community around the church had begun to change. And uh, so many of these stable families that kind of held the church together just kind of slowly started trickling away. They uh, went off to the suburbs where there were better schools or, or where the crime rates were lower. They didn't have to do the, the hard work of trying to fit in with different ethnicities and different immigrant communities that had moved into uh, this part of town. However, John and his wife felt the conviction to take up the challenge. Now, hear me, there was nothing really glamorous about John and his family and, and really even about their church. And, and the reality of it was is they kind of seemed odd to the neighbors around them. They had different political views than some of their neighbors. They had even different political views than some of their suburban Christian friends. They had to face problems that Christians who lived in other areas didn't have to face. And, and they were doing the hard work of trying to be in the world and not of the world. Again, nothing glamorous about his ministry. He got up every Sunday and tried to faithfully preach the word. They, uh, they gave generously to missions, both uh, domestically and then foreign missions. Uh, there were a lot of college students in their area, and so they really had a heart for college students, and they started different ministries to share the gospel to them and to try to help them mature in the faith. But they also kind of looked around at their community and saw different problems. There was a real rise in homelessness in their area. So they started this little food pantry and then and getting to know different homeless uh, men and women in their community. It, they learned more about their needs and so it spurred other ministries. It, it initially spurred this kind of financial assistance program where they help pay for things like trans transportation and help pay for utility bills and things like that. Then that kind of spurred an employment development ministry where they would come in and kind of counsel people on, on how to get a job and get back into the workforce, how to write a resume and, and navigate those different interviews. They, they started a community garden. Last year, they gave over one million pounds of food away. They helped nearly 70,000 people, and they gave away $2 million in assistance. Pastor John also felt the conviction to speak to a couple of issues. The longer he was in that community, he felt a, a real conviction to, to speak to the issue of racism. Now, they were in a, a real melting pot part of town. There were all these different ethnicities. There were all these different immigrant communities. 
on paper that sounds like really glorious, but in reality there's just a lot of competing you know, values that go on. And so there were these tensions that arose. And so uh, Pastor John spoke into those issues, but he did it differently than the world speaks to him. He didn't get into all these sociological oppressor versus oppression type things. He tried to speak to it in a, in a more biblical way. He led his church to embrace diversity. He also spoke to the community on these issues. He also had a real conviction to speak to the issue of abortion. He, he preached on the issues. He wrote opinion pieces in the local newspaper. He helped organize rallies. Uh, he led the church to give to the lo- local crisis pregnancy center. And he also learned how the issue of racism and abortion, they actually collide in a lot of different ways. After years of faithful ministry, blocks away from his home and blocks away from their church, a white police officer murdered an African-American man. The, the city exploded. This uh, African-American man was high on drugs. He was committing a crime. The police were called, and the police officer uh, was overly brutal in the arrest, resulting in the murder of the African-American man. Last Monday was Martin Luther King Day. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. I I always find it helpful that those two things are kind of close to each other in the calendar. And I I think holidays like that are 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 really good opportunities for us just to kind of pause and reflect to think on these different issues that those holidays uh, mark. It's a great moment to, to ponder these two great injustices that our country has experienced. I, I think those are the two greatest injustices that our country has experienced, the issue of racism and the issue of abortion. What does it mean to be faithful in the world but not of the world? How does God call Christians to relate to the world around us? And how should we respond more specifically to injustices? How do we love those who are hurting? And how can ordinary Christians like us faithfully live good lives? What does it mean to be broken people, loving broken people? I, I think Micah 6 eight is the best verse in the Bible to answer some of those questions. This is the best verse that I think God gives us on, on how we should navigate these things. It, it speaks to what God thinks is good. This is the good life. This is his word on how to live the good, faithful life. Now, the world is going to try to call us to something different. They're going to say, this is the good life. But the Bible has something different for us. And specifically, we're going to see maybe three legs or, or three admonitions on what it means to live the good life. And as you look at anything the world offers on, okay, this is what the good life, some competing uh, worldview on the good life, it denies one of those three legs. But when you put all of those three things together, that's God's vision for the good life. The first thing I want you to see is that we are to live according to his word. Look with, look with me at Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Many Old Testament scholars look to Micah 6 eight and say, this is the best summary of what the law is. This is what the law is all about. If you want to know what the Old Testament law is, look to Micah 6 eight. It's what God told us about what is good. And more specifically, what is good means is that we're to do justice, we're to love kindness, and we're to walk humbly with, the, with God. That's the law. That, that's the summary of the law. Now, as Christians, we kind of need to do some thinking work here, Right? Because you might think of different uh, uh, New Testament uh, verses on the law, and there's some hesitancy about the law, right? Like in the equip class we're looking at, we're studying Galatians. And in Galatians 2.16, he says that we're not justified by works of the law. 
And then Paul later says in Romans uh, 3.20 that really what the law does is it helps, gives us a knowledge of sin. Okay, so the law, by keeping the law, we're not justified, we're not born again. We, we can't be, you know, like do all these good works and then be made right with God. And, and really what the law does is it highlights that we can't fully keep it and thus we need God's grace. However, those things are true and we need to understand those aspects of the law. But that doesn't mean the law is bad. Like we need to understand that the law is good. In fact, the, uh, uh, Psalm 119 is, I think, one of the best passages in the Bible that highlights that the Bible views the law as good. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, and it, it's King David writing this glorious psalm of, about the law. And, and what he's doing is he's praising the law. He's thanking God for the law. He closes that long chapter with verses 174 to 176. Here's what he writes. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you. And let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandment. So the law then is what God thinks is good. And as King David explained, the law is good. The law is good meaning it's right. The law is good also meaning that it's helpful. So, so it's, it's what righteousness is supposed to look like. It's the right way to live. But it's also helpful in these very practical ways. It's helpful for how to be happy, how to find joy, how to live this blessed life. So, so it's theoretically, if you will, good and what is right. But it's also practically and functionally helpful. It's, if you want a life that's marred by wisdom and blessing, then live it according to the law. If you want a life that's practically useful and happy, then live according to what God communicates in his word. Therefore, the, the law or the word of God or, or God has told you these things and he's told you what is good. This is what he thinks is right. This is what he thinks is helpful. This is what he thinks is helpful to leading you to joy. Now, by perfectly keeping all the rules, you're not going to be born again by doing that. That's a foolish endeavor. And we preach that week in, week out around here. We naturally think that's what religion is. If I keep these religious rules, then I'll be right with God. The Bible teaches something different. But, but in, the high, the, in, in, the, in the law highlighting your need for grace, then God comes along with his solution. But, but the law is good. Okay, let's get a little more specific. How do we live the good life? How do we live according to God's word? These, these three commandments, these three legs of the stool. The first one is, is do justice. He's told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice. So living a good life, uh, living according to God's word, it includes uh, justice. And that's because God, God cares about justice. He cares about justice. Justice is about straightness or rightness. It's about treating others fairly. And God cares about that. He, he, he cares about justice. Justice is not socially created according to God. There's, there's justice out there. There's a standard of justice that has always been there and always will be there. God views justice as this standard. Similar to, and we know that to be the case because similar to how we know of a perfect circle versus an imperfect circle. Have you ever drew, drew, uh, drawn a perfect circle? You, you haven't, have you? you? You've drawn imperfect circles. And the reason why you know they're imperfect circles is because you've seen a perfect circle, right? In a similar way, there's like degrees to justice. But like a law can be more just than, a, than another just. That law can be less just. In a similar way, because there's, there's these degrees, because there's degrees, it points to a standard of justice. So Christians understand that there's this once and for all standards of justice that God has. 
So, so God doesn't hold to these socially constructed views of justice. God's not a moral relativist where, okay, all morality is relative. God has this standard of justice. I, I think looking at uh, um, unjust or unjust moments from the past, that helps us kind of prove this point. So for example, as we look back at, in the history of our country, we look at slavery. Like if we evaluate that from a moral relativistic point of view, like these, these conversations where we have where we say, okay, this might be right for you, but it's wrong for me, but, but I don't have, you know, I shouldn't judge you for that. If it's wrong for you and right for me, that's okay. Like we're moral relativists. There's no such thing as, a, as an ultimate right and wrong. There's no such thing as justice. Like that kind of falls apart when you look back at slavery, right? Like we would, like we would instinctively look back at slavery and if somebody says, well, listen, it might have been right for them. It's not right for us. We don't have grounds to judge them. Like, I think that that's, that's a scary endeavor, right? Like, we instinctively know that that's wrong. In a similar way, kind of social constructs view of morality. But listen, morality is just this thing that we socially kind of agree upon. We construct it together. Again, like, if you look back at old slavery in the South, that doesn't work there, right? Like, if you read what they wrote, like, many of them viewed slavery as a virtuous thing. How about that? Like, they had a whole society that was constructed upon the sin of slavery. So Christians don't look back at that and say, well, through moral relativistic eyes, we can do that, or socially constructed eyes. No, we look back at that and say, it was sinfully wrong. Because it was always wrong. It was wrong then. What they were doing was wrong, and it was sinful. They misinterpreted Scripture. They were chasing their own fleshly desires. It was just wrong. That's an example of the Christian view of justice. God cares about justice. He's a just God. He demands justice. He punishes uh, injustice. The prophets, for example. When you go back to the prophets in the Old Testament, they faithfully rebuked God's people for injustices. When they saw injustices in Israel, they rebuked it and they called them to turn. But I want to be really clear on this point. The prophets also rebuked unbelievers. They looked around at the nations around them, the Moabites and the Edomites, and according to God's word, they rebuked them. You sacrifice children to Moloch, so God's going to judge you. God has this standard, that's wrong. And so they called them out for that. They rebuked even unbelievers. Again, God cares about justice, even to the degree that he promises to bring justice. Martin Luther King, I love reading uh, MLK's sermons. Uh, he was a great preacher, and he uh, was constantly quoting the prophets. It, even in the I Have a Dream speech, he quotes Amos 5.24 when he says, No, no, we are not satisfied, and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. See, God is not satisfied with injustice. Therefore, he promises to bring justice to bring justice like a waterfall, like a mighty river. His justice is coming and it's powerful. His justice is coming and it's like this refreshing water to a dry and weary soul. God cares about justice and he promises to bring justice. In fact, this really gets to the heart of the gospel, right? Gospel, uh, God cares about justice to the point that he would get up on the cross and satisfy justice. He got up there because there was this standard of justice that needed to be satisfied. And if he would satisfy that standard, then mercy could flow from that moment. The gospel upholds justice. It upholds it better than any social justice warrior can. God cares more about justice than the judge, the lawyer, the politician, or the charity worker. 
He has a heart for justice, and we should have God's heart for justice as well. However, justice was more than just talk with God. He did justice. The cross is this greatest example of God doing justice. He did the just thing, which was the hard thing. He didn't wink at sin. He he didn't compromise with injustice. He, He didn't just simply talk the talk. He walked the walk, and he got up on that cross. You see, doing justice is more than a vote, and it's more than a Facebook post. How do you personally do justice? What does this look like in your life? Are you committing to doing the hard but the right thing at your office? Have you taken the time to find those broken places in our community, those places where the gospel needs to shine light in those areas? Have, have you stepped into those areas? Are you, are you making this community and this country a more just place? Before And as you ponder those questions and before we move on, I, I just want to take one second to speak to our moment. The church does not have a perfect record on justice. However, the church has a better record on justice than the Democratic Party, than the Republican Party, than capitalism, than secularism, than socialism, and certainly communism. The church needs to look in the mirror and constantly improve on our, uh, on our <laughs> relationship with justice. There's always injustice in the church and we constantly need to do a better job of looking in the mirror. We're not above criticism and we're not above improvement. However, if you're putting your hope in a political party or an economic ideology in a way that you're more critical of the church than those things, friends, that is a failed project. That's going to lead you to a couple of places. Number one, you're denying the math and you're denying history. You're just denying the, the math on the number of people who have died on these things. You're denying the history of votes that were taking place. You're just denying hard realities. And hear me, if you're a young person today, don't waste your youth trying to pursue justice separate from Jesus' bride and separate from God's word. Don't waste your youth in that. That approach is a failed project because you're going to be dissatisfied. You're going to be dissatisfied of the result, and I promise you this, you're going to have to compromise at some point. I've had young people throw darts at Jesus' bride, and then when I turn it around about their political candidate, boy, they start compromising. Yeah, but da-da-da-da-da. Man, you want, you want to trust something else more than Jesus and his word and his church over something? You are going to have to compromise at some point. You, you, you are going to be dissatisfied in that project. If you want to live the good life, then do justice. And do it with Jesus' bride and do it according to God's word. Okay, the next admonition is to love kindness. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness. We live in a a social justice age. However, I feel like I've seen in a short period of time that the good parts of the social justice movement have led to cancel culture. And and I think that there's a meanness and there's a harshness about about much of that aspect of the social justice movement. I'm showing my age here, but I've actually read uh, Orwell's 1984. And if you're, if you're over the age of, of 40, then man, I, I think that 
what we're seeing in a lot of that um, a lot of that cancel culture it just feels too creepily like 1984 okay no matter what anybody tells you two plus two does not equal five okay what, what I'm saying is is we're we're playing games with words and then with 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 those words we are coming with hammers at people we invented a word two weeks ago and then we're canceling someone because they didn't even know about it we're playing dangerous games with those things. The word games that we're playing in our culture and then how people are treated as a result, it's caused me to love the gospel more than ever. Friends, Jesus' justice is always coupled with Jesus' love. Amen? It's always coupled together. God cares about justice, but God also cares about loving kindness. Faithfulness to the word means living a good life, which means Caring about justice and moving beyond caring it and doing justice, but doing it in a way that loves kindness. We teach regularly from the Psalms in this church. So a lot of you are probably familiar with that term hesed. It's such a great Old Testament word. It, it, it's this word that is translated loving kindness. That, that's the word here. And, and, and kindness is about softness when, when really hardness is deserved. You, you see, uh, mercy, it's about not holding someone guilty even when they don't deserve it. Hesed also has this idea that it's God's covenant love. It's this, it's this love that is backed by a promise. God promises to faithfully love us. He promises that even when we don't keep our end of the bargain, he continues to love us. He has this long-suffering love for us. The good and faithful life includes loving others as God has loved us. It's not just about being right. It's also about being right in a loving way. You see, doing justice should, should not lead to hardness. It should not lead to meanness. Micah 6.8, it's not calling us to cold rules and, and these cold regulations. It's calling us to faithfulness to the Word of God, but faithfulness in a way that is loving and tender and approachable. We need to speak about issues of racism, and we need to do it with conviction. We also need to do it with grace. We need to speak about issues like abortion, and we need to do it faithful to the Word of God and faithful to our convictions. And we need to do it in such a way that is loving towards those who disagree with us. It, 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 we need to uh, be clear that uh, every time we speak about abortion, there, there's people who have real wounds from that issue. And we need to be clear that, that, that abortion is not somehow like the unforgivable sin. It, it's not beyond God's grace. God is, is, is with those ladies. You see, can you genuinely love and befriend someone who holds a wildly different worldview than you? Can, can you love a real person who has political differences than you? You see, can you understand their concerns? If we can love kindness, meaning really love real people, then they can better hear us on issues of justice. I find that very hard to do. Are you with me on that? Like, man, I can get hot on issues, okay? I'm in the category that do justice is a little bit easier for me, okay? I, I can burn hot on certain things. And when I get to love kindness and trying to strike that balance, I find that very difficult to do. So how do we hold both of those things in balance? How do we do justice and how do we love kindness? Humbly walk with God. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. The good life holds these things in balance. It holds do justice and love kindness in balance. 
And we need God to navigate that balance. We need to walk with him in order to do it. You see, we, we need him uh, and his strength to be faithful to this. Faithfulness includes doing justice. It includes loving kindness, but doing it with God. We can't separate our spirituality from those things. Our, our walk with God is the source of how we're to do this faithfully and effectively. You see, God views justice and love as primarily a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. That, that's why the, the greatest examples that I've seen of justice and where people step in and maybe help uh, those who are homeless or those who are struggling in different ways, when they bring the gospel in that, those are the most effective reforms that I've seen. It's because they don't discount the spiritual aspects of who we are. Walk in the Bible is synonymous with live. God connects a life of justice and love with a life that is connected to him. This is just John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the Christian view of justice is linked to a life that is connected with as well as empowered by Jesus. We're to walk with him. Micah 6.8 describes this, uh, this walk or this life as a humble walk. Like a true walk with God, it's by nature humble, right? Like we're placing ourselves under him. Like if you're constantly putting God in the dock and you're constantly judging God or, or trying to find ways to deny his word, that's the opposite of humbly walking with him. So if your walk with God is, okay, I'm trying to produce, uh, pursue justice, but doing it in direct contradiction to the clear teachings of Scripture, that by definition is not a humble walk with God. A humble walk with God is empowered by God, walking with Him, this rich spiritual life of being empowered by Him, taking these things, man, I'm mad about this issue. Lord, help me to see this in a way to where I'm loving someone who views it differently. But, but it's also saying, okay, God, what does your word say about this issue? Where, where's the theology and the Bible verses that support how I'm going about this? The good, just, loving life, the one that's according to God, is done according to the Bible. It needs to be this deep, rich, intentional spiritual life that empowers it. But there also ought to be a, a theology and Bible verses that inform it. It's empowered by the vine. I love Micah 6.8, and I love it because it's clear. It's very direct. Are you living the faithful and good life? What I'm asking is, is are you consistent to what God says, to his law, to his word, to his Bible? Further, do you believe all that stuff is good? Do you believe his way to live is good? Or, or are you trying to always get around it, do, do something in contradiction to it? What about your life needs to change in order for you to be more faithful to God's word? to do justice, to love kindness? Do you demonstrate a striving for justice? Some are more, I think, naturally hardwired on some of these issues. Some of us just kind of burn hot on some of these issues. And so uh, doing justice, th that's going to look different for some of us. Maybe the issue that you're passionate about, maybe somebody's not going to be as passionate about it. And both of you need to extend grace to each other on that. I don't know how God's leading you on these things. God leads us differently sometimes on this. However, we all have a call to strive for justice. Maybe you and your wife need to pray about adopting. Maybe you need to step into the political arena and serve on a campaign or participate in an issue or run for an office. Maybe you need to talk to Pastor Grant about being an advocate in our church for a certain uh, charity or some, some gospel-grounded nonprofit. 
Have you taken a moment to really learn about the dark places in our world? Those broken places in our society that need the light of the gospel? Do you strive for justice in a loving and a kind manner? I believe this is God-given, but, but God, I think, has given me a heart for the issue of abortion. I just care deeply about it. I care passionately about it. And, you know, when I read the old abolitionist, I mean, there's a, there's a fire in some of those speeches. I mean, I get that. I get that righteous indignation. I, I can identify with that. And this, uh, on this issue that I care about, I, I, I understand what it means to have a righteous indignation about it. However, Micah 6.8 to me, is this needed challenge to engage in that issue in a way that is loving and kind. Can I engage those ladies on that issue in a way that is loving and kind? It's Sanctity of Life Sunday, and I believe that Christians need to advocate for the end of the injustice of abortion. However, I also believe that it's not the unforgivable sin. I also believe that, uh, that, that it, is, it is a painful and a hard choice for ladies. We need to be sensitive to their, pli- their flight, and we need to clearly communicate the gospel in those moments that God loves them when they're scared and when they're suffering. Are you humbly walking with God? Micah's 6 8 challenge to social justice warriors is to do justice according to God's word and with God. When you do it that way, when you're connected to the vine of Jesus, then you're going to do it differently. You're going to do it in a way uh, that, that is faithful to God's word. We easily breathe in, I think, secularism. And we can buy into how other people are treating people on social media or in riots and these different things and not see and back up and see there's an unchristianness about those things. Are we loving those who have different views than us? Therefore, we need to be reminded that in all of our efforts, it's within this context of a deep spiritual walk with God. All these Micah 6-8 conv- convictions came together for, for Pastor John and his wife when they heard about a, a, a young African-American uh, lady in their community and she had decided to, uh, to not get an abortion but to uh, give up uh, her unborn daughter for adoption. Even though they were in their 50s, uh, they decided we, we want to adopt this girl. This sweet little girl brought great joy to their family. However, adoption in general, and, and specifically when you adopt a child of a different race, that, that's not always a, an easy path. For, for example, uh, this daughter is, as a young adult, with, I listened to an interview with her and her adopted mother, and uh, they, they shared just stories about how there were times she just felt different. Uh, for instance, they were at a, an airport one time, and it was just her and her mother, and uh, this little boy came up to her, and I mean, nothing, didn't say anything malicious about it, but he said, hey, where's your mom? She goes, well, my mom's right here, and she's like, yeah, this, she's my daughter, and she just felt different in that moment. She went to, a, even though she was African-American, her, her church was majority white, and, and there were many times she just felt different there. There's a grief that happens in the adoption process. There's a grief that comes along with it, as, as this girl and her mother explain. You see, she always wondered why. Like, why did, why did my mother give me up for adoption? She, she just carried that grief with her. There, there's others who, you know, when they adopt, there's, sometimes there's health problems with that baby that they adopt, and, and they, they grieve the challenges. I mean, you know, adopted children are just like every other children. Sometimes they rebel, and, and there's a grief that comes along with that. However, today, that daughter, she's graduated from a Christian college. She's married. She runs a small business. She runs this little... Christian ministry with one of her girlfriends from 
uh, that she grew up with in church where they, they have this website and they, they write these daily devotionals to other young Christian ladies. She loves the Lord. She's really grateful for her birth mother. I heard her this week read a letter to her birth mother just thanking her for giving her life, thanking her for walking through the hardness of just being pregnant as a, as a young unmarried woman and maybe shame that came with that, challenges that came, fear that came with that. But yet she walked through that and gave her life. In that same letter, she, she thanks her adopted mother for raising her in the gospel. The point of her story is her life is a testimony to the beauty of Micah 6.8. It's a beautiful call. I find it very difficult, but I find it very beautiful. I don't know what your path is, but don't, I, I don't pretend to know all that God is calling you. But I know that he has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Don't buy into what the world calls us to. It's going to deny one of those three legs somewhere. Walk faithfully with God. Walk faithfully with him in a way to where you do justice and you love kindness. Walk the good path of Micah 6a. Let's pray.